rolling on in the series that we've started called Good to Go. And in this series, it's really as much a series of messages as it is a season for our church for us to kind of step back and do kind of a self-diagnosis, personally and collectively, to kind of say, are we really and truly good to go? Are we actually fulfilling what Jesus is, Jesus' great commission, the, the last words he said to his followers before he returned to heaven, when he said, go, tell your neighbor, go. Go, go and make disciples. Go and baptize them. Go and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you to do. Are we actually doing everything that we can as a church? Are we doing everything that we can as individuals to make sure that we are fulfilling the Great Commission. And we're doing this by kind of looking at it through the lens of what we call around here a full circle faith. And that is the, the paradigm. That is the belief that in order for a, for a person to be growing in her faith spiritually and advancing in a relationship with God, there are certain cylinders that you just need to be firing on at all times. And so just real quickly, if you haven't been here, I want to introduce the concept to you, but also maybe for review for those of us who have been here, Full Circle Faith looks like this. It starts usually when you attend, when you show up to a church service or a Bible study where other Christians are and you kind of start investigating and checking things out, but then you move from attending to committing. You make a commitment to Christ. You make a commitment to a particular church. There's that thing about commitment that God always blesses and honors. It's a part of a full circle faith. Commitment becomes serving. You start using the gifts and the talents that God has given you to move his purposes, to move his kingdom and his church forward in this world. You also actually connect with other people. Like you, you really and truly engage on a soul level with other people who are also trying to grow in their faith. That's a huge part of this thing. Giving, giving financially. is There's this, this undeniable link between our spirit world and our financial world. Jesus talked about this. We talk about it. It's a part of your full circle faith. And then your faith comes full circle when you begin leading other people into that circle. When you start discipling, when you start mentoring, coaching other people in their faith, whether they're seven years old or 70, your faith is not yet complete. It's not yet firing on all cylinders until you start leading other people into that. And that's, that's kind of the, the paradigm that we've been looking at. And the, the thing about collective Church worship is so important. That's why I asked Pastor Derek to speak to that. It's kind of a subset of attending, but it's a big, big deal because what happens when we gather together in here doesn't happen anywhere else. Like when I'm driving down the road in my truck, I can, I can worship and, and sing along by myself. And man, when I'm in my truck by myself, I, I'm convinced that Lauren Daigle is about to call at any moment and ask me to duet with her, and we'll be on the Ellen Show together, and it'll be great. But you know what? There's nothing, there is nothing like gathering together with the family of faith, lifting our voices, and, and letting that worship ring off of the rafters. And, and the beautiful thing about it is you don't even have to be able to sing well. I can't sing that well. I, I enjoy music. I love music. I love to sing. I will sing loud because I can't sing well. But, but the great news is, the Bible never says make a beautiful noise to the Lord. It never says that. 
It says make a joyful noise. You, don't, you may not be able to carry a tune in a number three wash tub. That's okay. You're supposed to make a joyful noise to the Lord. My wife, Julie, Julie can sing like you would not believe. It, it's, it's actually a little bit annoying. She is, she is such a great singer. She never does it. She has this incredible Reba McIntyre imitation that I beg her to do over and over and over again. It's really amazing. Would you like to hear it? Would you like to hear Julie do Reba McIntyre? Just real quick, just a little bit. It's just family. Julie, come on. Wait a minute, just so y'all know, this, pay. this may pay. be the last time that Julie comes to Lake Hills Church. But she's going out with a bang. Julie, give us a little Reba real quick. <laughs> Cowgirls don't cry. Ride, baby, ride. There you go. That's my wife right there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, marriage is about commitment. <laughs> Church, that was completely unplanned, by the way, and I will be paying for that for the better part of the next month. But I think it was worth it, don't you? That was fun. But she really can sing well, not just like Reba. She can sing really, really well. But when we gather together, you never know what's going to happen. There's something that happens when we worship together, when we lift up our voices, when we sing and make a beautiful, joyful, joyful noise to God together. There's nothing like it. And for some people, as a matter of fact, probably for some people in this room right now, attending church is a monster step forward in your spiritual journey. Some of you have, have cleared some enormous spiritual and relational, maybe historical family hurdles just to walk in the door today. And we celebrate that. And, and it's not supposed to stop there. That, that's not where it, it stops because the reality also is that a lot of us never move very far beyond just attending. As if going to church is all that it's going to take to go to heaven. And so if we go to church, man, we, yeah, we, psh, 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 we're there. There's another level when you make a commitment, first of all, to Christ, and second of all, to his church. When you make a commitment to a particular church. And there's something that's kind of in the water amongst our culture today where it's kind of like, I love God, and I'm very spiritual, but I'm not into organized religion. And I understand where that comes from. There have been a lot of mistakes that the church has made over the years, mistakes we've made, mistakes other churches have made. But to say that I love God but not the church, it's kind of like saying, you know what? It's like, it's like Julie and me. Let, let's say that you and I go out to get a cup of coffee together, and, and we just connect, man. It's going on. And you're like, man, I really like Mac Richard. I just don't like his wife. She, she just got, you know, she did that Reba McIntyre thing on Sunday. 
And, and I could tell she was just acting like she didn't want to do it, but she really did. <laughs> now, for the record, I like Mac, but not Julie, said no one ever in the history of the world. But it'd be the same as saying, I like Jesus, but not the church. The church is the bride of Christ. Part of loving God, part of a full circle faith is loving the body of Christ, warts and all. People say, well, so many hypocrites in the church. That's fine. We got room for one more. Come on. I'm telling you. And it's not that most of us are hypocritical. It's just that we're human. We, we, make, we worship a perfect God, but we're not perfect. We never claim to be perfect. We don't have it all figured out. We're trying, like you, to figure it out as we go along. But we're doing it together. And, and that's where the commitment thing comes in. I think a lot of times we make the mistake of, of overvaluing what we believe and undervaluing how we behave. We overvalue what we believe as if, as if our belief is just some kind of superficial academic acceptance. Like we believe in God like, like we believe in electricity or we believe in gravity or some other force that's out there. And we never bring it down to where we live. We never make that commitment to follow Christ. To, to make that, that commitment, this is, this is part of this full circle faith Romans chapter 10, verse 9, I think helps us to close that gap between what we believe and how we behave. Look at what it says. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you openly declare Jesus is Lord, you are the Lord of my life. You are the Lord of this world. You declare that and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is commitment. It's not just a belief. It's not just an academic acquiescence. You see, Jesus doesn't just want our minds. He wants our minds. He wants our hearts. He wants our bodies. He wants the whole shooting match. That is commitment. To commit means, just as a, as a working definition, commit means that you vow to do something. You vow to do something. Now, the vow may be to yourself, it may be to God, but you, you commit to do something. Tell your neighbor right now, like you mean it, with a smile on your face, do something. Do something. When you, when you commit to do something, you back, up, you back up your talk with your walk. You make that that commitment to do something. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, my disciple, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. That's pretty straightforward. It is a complete surrender to the only one who will never take advantage of your surrender. It is a commitment to the God who loves you unconditionally as is, to the God who loves you completely too much to leave you as you are. It is a commitment. It is a surrender 
to the will of God in your life, to the, to the rule of God in your life. And it's this, it's this commitment that generates all of the good things that God has for us. Think about all the good things in your life just in general. Every great relationship that you have, every great business arrangement or, or partnership that you've ever had, they've all involved commitment. God always blesses commitment. You see, we have to choose commitment over FOMO. We, we've all got this fear of missing out, don't we? It's like, oh, man, I, I'm in. I'm there. I'll, I'll be there unless I get a better offer. I remember when I was a very young student pastor right out of college, we, we were doing weekly worship services with high school and middle school students, and we had a, a worship leader who was a college student, incredibly talented guy. And I got wind that he was maybe going to take a semester off from college and go back home to another city. And so, you know, I was kind of like, man, we, we, this guy's great. We need to keep him. And so I went to him one night, kind of late November, early December. I said, hey, are you going to be here next semester? Because we, we got to make plans, but I, I want you here. And he goes, I am a thousand percent here, unless I'm not here. I was like, I'm sorry, what? And, 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 and he meant that so sincerely. He goes, oh, I, yes, I will be here, unless I'm not here. Apparently, he missed the memo on commitment. I understand keeping your options open. I understand hedging your bets. I understand FOMO, believe me. But commitment, a commitment to Christ is where it's at. A commitment means that you step over that line of faith. It's kind of that, that line in the sand moment that we hear about from the Alamo, 1836, Texas fighting for independence, and allegedly, reportedly, Colonel Travis, leading the garrison there in San Antonio, drew his saber and drew a line in the sand and asked for people to voluntarily step over that line, of, that line in the sand to signify their commitment to the cause of Texas freedom. And apparently there were two who did not, and they left. Women and children were allowed to leave. Two men decided to leave. And everybody else, Davy Crockett, Jim Bowie, William Barrett Travis, and today Texas could be a free republic on its own. <laughs> because of that line in the sand. Now, I wasn't there. But I understand the principle I understand the principle of a line in the sand moment where a person chooses to follow Christ. It's not about, I went to church when I was a kid and when I got to high school or college, I got away from it, but it's, it's that moment where a person chooses to follow Jesus, to trust him more than we trust ourselves, and we commit our lives to following him. We commit ourselves to being a part of his church, of a particular church. It's a commitment. And, and I've had a question for you for the last few weeks. You didn't know this, but I've been waiting to ask this question until this moment. I want to see by a show of hands, how many of you grew up 
on a farm or a ranch. How many of you grew up on, or you, you're familiar with, you know that? Go ahead and raise your hands high. Spiritual leaders, every single one of you. Keep your hands up if you would. Listen, I, I did not. I, I grew up, I'm a city kid. I grew up in Houston. But I have had the privilege in the last few years of meeting a number of farmers and ranchers, and I have been blown away. These people work their heads off. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about? If you grew up on one, you know what I'm talking about. Especially, I think about the farmers, because they're always doing something, getting ready. They're, they're either getting ready to plant, or they're getting ready to harvest, or they're repairing equipment, or they're tending to animals. They're, they're always working. And what's fascinating to me is they are working so hard. I've, I've never seen anybody that works as hard or as smart as people who have to live off the land. I'm not talking about those of us who maybe go out and shoot a deer once a year for the family to have meat for the winter. I'm talking about people who have to earn their living in the dirt. They work so hard just to get lucky. They do so much and ultimately they're dependent upon the weather. All of their work all year long, 365 days a year is just to be in a position to receive the rain should it fall. Because not enough rain, the crops fail. Too much rain, the crops fail. An early frost or a late freeze can obliterate months of labor. But there is a spiritual law of commitment that is available to every single one of us, no matter what your agricultural background may or may not be. And it is the spiritual law of reaping and sowing. Look in your Bibles in Galatians chapter number 6. In Galatians 6, the Bible says something absolutely fascinating. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. It says, do not be deceived. I love that. Don't, don't kid yourself. Don't buy into the lie. Because God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, whatever you plant, that will he also reap. So whatever you plant spiritually, that's going to be what you harvest every single time. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows, who plants to the Spirit of God, will from the Spirit reap or harvest eternal life. Sowing and reaping, planting and harvesting. This, this idea that no matter what you put in the ground spiritually, that is absolutely what you will harvest. So whatever you're committed to, that will be your harvest. And, and I love that the Bible uses this terminology too. The one who sows to his own flesh, your own earthly desires, you will from that flesh reap corruption, Corruption's a great word. It, it, we think about corruption, we think about politics or a bribe or whatever. But the actual word for corruption means the twisting from some original intent. That that, that, that which was intended has been corrupted. It, think about it in terms of software. Have you ever had a file on your computer get corrupted? Have you ever had your hard drive get corrupted? That's one of the most terrifying things in the world where you sit there and you just look at the spinning wheel of death. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, I've been working on this project for weeks. 
I, I had this when I was writing my book. I, when I was writing a book a couple of years ago, I was in the middle of it. I had pages, reams and pages and pages and pages. And my computer crashed. It, somehow the, the hard drive was corrupted. And I lost weeks of work. And I remember just sitting there looking at the screen. No profanity. No yelling. No, just, just a little tear. And then Julie started singing Cowgirl Don't Cry, and I felt better. <laughs> but that's what sin does. Sin corrupts the hard drive. Sin corrupts the heart. Sin corrupts the mind, and, and, it, and it twists, and it turns it from the original intent that God created us for into something less than. And if you sow, if you plant to your earthly, your fleshly desires above God's spirit desires, then, then you're going to reap the flesh. You're going to reap corruption. That will be your harvest. And it's, it's an immutable law. Romans chapter 3 says the wages of sin is death. The payment for sin is death. That's corruption. We weren't created for death. We were created for life, for relationship with a God who loves us unconditionally, perfectly. Perfect love drives out fear. But sin corrupts. And so we think about cultivating. We think about farming. And and. When we think about it in God's economy, commitment, commitment's not an obligation. Commitment, commitment is cultivation. Where we commit is where we find the most freedom. In the immortal words of Jocko Willink, discipline equals freedom. Discipline equals freedom. Think about your life in any other arena. You want to experience real relational fulfillment? Then choose wisely and invest accordingly. If you want to experience physical freedom, eat clean, stretch, and move and lift. It's really simple. Discipline equals freedom. If you, if you ignore those things, you may enjoy the cake. You may enjoy the cookie. But you're, you're not going to experience true freedom because your body will, will shut down on all that sugar, Jack. If, if you want to experience financial peace and freedom, then create and live by a budget, tithe and live beneath your means. It's very simple. But discipline equals freedom. Commitment is cultivation. You're cultivating the soil of your life, your heart, and your mind to be able to receive the blessings of God to harvest that which God has promised us. And very, very quickly, I want to give you a list, a list of commitments to make, commitments that cultivate this soil. Number one is prayer. It's prayer. Praying to God regularly. And, and when prayer 
when prayer really hits its stride, you, you'll also include fasting. Fasting. We, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago where you, you fast from a physical appetite in order to receive a spiritual blessing. You, you, prayer and fasting. Number two is worship. Talked about that last week. Consistent, disciplined, committed worship. Number three is baptism. Baptism. Now, I know a lot of people were baptized when you were infants, and that's great. That, that was a decision your parents made. But Jesus was baptized as an example to believers. That's why it's called believer's baptism. After you make that commitment to Christ, you participate with Christ in baptism. Number four, scriptural metabolizing. I love that phrase. Scriptural metabolism, metabolizing. I don't like to call it Bible study, and that may be just a reflection on my own academic career, but metabolizing means that you are reading the Bible for the purposes of processing it. You're, you're ingesting it, and it's becoming a part of your spiritual fiber, just like the food that you eat becomes a part of your physical fiber. Scriptural metabolizing. Number five, tithing. Tithing. Tithing is a commitment that generates that full circle faith. And tithing, just like prayer becomes fasting, tithing, tithing is, is the first step on the way to generosity giving. Generosity giving, that's, that's where you're giving above and beyond that 10%, and you're just like, you're giving with like, <laughs> she's like, you're not gonna believe this. When the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver, in the New Testament, the word for cheerful in the original Greek is the word hilarious. That's, that's, I went to seminary. I studied this stuff. That's an actual word. So when you get to generosity giving, you're just like. <laughs> this is not. This is funny. This is funny. Hilarious. Not enough of you understand that, but some of you do. And thank you for laughing. Number six is fellowship. Fellowship is a good church word because it refers to the church. Fellowship is a verb. You fellowship with other people. You, you connect spiritually with other people. Number seven is evangelism. Evangelism is when you start telling other people about the difference Christ has made in your life and that they can experience it too. Evangelism just means good news, telling good news. Number eight is serving. Serving, where you're you're using those gifts and those talents that God has given you to help other people, to move the purposes of God forward. And then number nine is leading and discipling. Leading and discipling. Where you start leading other people in their faith. You start sharing with them out of what God has given you, out of your experiences, out of your knowledge base. And you start sharing in the truth and the grace of God and and you start leading other people. You start mentoring them. They may be seven. They may be 70. But you're discipling. You're, you're mentoring. You're leading other people. You know, that, that line in the sand that we talked about, that where you've got, I know what it's like. I spent a lot of time in my life with one foot in and one foot out. Where it's kind of like, I know the line is there. But I, I'm just not, I'm not really sure about really, really 
committing. I know what that feeling is like. I know, I know FOMO spiritually. Mike and Kelly Beck are members of our church, part of the church family around here. And they understand firsthand the blessing of moving from one foot out, one foot in, to real commitment. Here's their story. Early into our marriage, we were very lukewarm in our faith. Our careers were on the top, and then our marriage was down here, and then Christ. We could talk the talk, mm -hmm. but we did not walk the walk. It really wasn't a good foundation to start your family off on. My identity was really rooted in athletics. I grew up playing volleyball, basketball. Out of college, I became a volleyball coach. It was a very high-profile job. It's always in the newspapers, you know, asked to speak at different coaching events. And so that kind of became my persona and my identity. And I had my, my career, my job, and that's what I wanted to focus on. That was, that was everything to me then. Uh, my career was everything, and that's how I found my strength and my identity, and, and sadly, it was like my family. I decided to be a stay-at-home mom, and when you go from being in the spotlight like I was, and then you go to talking to toddlers all day and no adult interaction, your husband's gone all day long, it rocked my world. I didn't know who I was anymore. And I turned to things that were just outside my marriage. Um, they were outside my realm of motherhood. Alcohol was a very, big thing that um, that I turned to and picked up just to kind of numb the feeling that I had of losing that sense of worth and sense of self. I remember going outside and I would just put out my lawn chair and, and throw some toys out for the kids to play with and I would just sit there with a glass of wine and just keep filling it up. That would start at two o'clock in the afternoon and it wouldn't end until he got home from work. I knew what I was doing wasn't right, and I needed help. And even though we were far from God, I kept praying. This opportunity came from my brother, who um, lives in Austin, and um, he asked if Mike would come and work for him, um, and I felt like that was kind of like the, the um, change that I was kind of hoping for and looking for and praying for, Mike was very resistant to it. At the end of the day, I knew I had to pick my family. I had to pick my marriage. And I think my, my relationship was God, with God was, was becoming a lot deeper at, at that point. I had started going to a Lake Hills uh, men's Bible study when we still lived in Houston. Uh, they met early Friday mornings, and I had clients in Austin, and I really think that helped. I was reading my Bible more. I was praying more. And um, I think that was a major factor in, in, in opening up. And it's the weirdest feeling in the world to say, you know what, I, I've always held this career tight in my hand and I got it, you know? I got what I wanted. And then just to say, all right, God, I got you. I don't have my career, but I got you. Let's see what happens here. I remember the first Sunday that we were in Austin 
we came to Lake Hills Church. I just remember being in that sanctuary and we were kind of sitting up high and I don't even think a song was playing, but I just started bawling. I felt something I have never felt in a church before. And I can only describe it as the Holy Spirit was moving in that place. And I knew right then and there, we didn't even need to go look for another church because this was the church we were gonna go to. Although we were still going to church now regularly, my heart hadn't changed. Finding fulfillment in all the wrong things kind of crept back in, distractions crept back in. And so I really had a moment where I hurt my family and I hurt my husband. And I was praying and I was saying, God, I know what I'm doing is not right. I, I need out of this. I need change. I need you to help me. And one day, um, I picked up my phone and I called Mike and I said, you need to come home, we need to talk. I confronted him with everything. I told him everything that I had done. I told him how sorry I was. And Mike was obviously crushed, devastated. The first thing he did was he ran to the church because he was connected in it. I called Pastor Terry and talked with him and, and um, sought out uh, marriage counseling for, for our marriage and our family. And just, just, just going to Christ and going to Jesus and saying, you know what, right now I don't love my wife. I, I, I can't love my wife, but I love Jesus. Through him I can love my wife. We went to all these marriage counselings. It was great for our marriage. It got us kind of back on track, but my heart posture still, still wasn't where it should be. It was like a battle was going on for my mind. It was July and I went down to my parents' house and I started developing these knots almost on the back of the left side of my head. And they were so painful. It felt like literal fire. I couldn't do anything. I was, I was pretty much immobile. We go to the third emergency room. He takes a look at my blood. Um, he, he takes a look at the swollen areas on my head. He said, I don't want you to freak out, but I have an appointment for you set up with um, Austin Cancer Center with the oncology department first thing Monday morning. We were both just kind of shell-shocked. And I was thinking to myself at that moment, this, this is the end. Hey, Kelly, this is Dad. Hey, uh, just wanted to tell you that we're all uh, praying for you. Just know that God's the one that's in control. You know, it may seem like that everything's going downhill and Satan has a, may have a may seem like you've got a firm gra grasp on your life, but you've got to remember who you belong to and that God is more powerful. You're in our prayers, and, and we just start thinking about you all the time, and, and we know that God's going to help you with your life and with your decisions, and He's going to direct you and guide you in, in, in your life. You take care. We love you. Bye-bye. I just knew that something had to change. I went in my room, I shut the door, and I got on my knees, and I just raised my hands up, and I said, I am done living life the way I've lived life. Um, you can have me now. 
everything looked different. My um, view on life changed. And just the love that I had for her, my husband, the love that I had for my kids, and just knowing how much he had to forgive me, and that could only come from Christ. It, it turns out that um, didn't have to go to the um, cancer center that Monday morning. I found out it was shingles on my head. Um, and I really believe that, that that spiritual battle that was waging on my mind manifested itself in shingles on my head. So once Mike and I started to kind of get on the same page spiritually, that's when we noticed things really starting to change. Um, I'd say the biggest change was our prayer life. Our prayer life had just been completely obsolete um, before this moment. And um, we just decided we needed to start praying together as a couple out loud. And then we also needed to start praying out loud as a family um, before we went to bed and before we could put the kids down. Um, and I'd say like as a result of that full surrender and commitment to Christ, um, no longer were we aimlessly going to church just to go to church, um, but we were able through him to kind of strengthen that foundation that was rocky before. And we were intentionally um, developing Christ-centered friendships and, um, and really committing ourselves to serving his house faithfully. Um, and you know, although um, things have turned around for us, and things are really good right now, um, we know that there will be battles ahead. And um, just knowing though that we have this community of faith surrounding us and understanding finally who we belong to, we know we can faithfully endure anything. ask you to bow your heads for just a moment and in this moment I want to invite you and I want to invite you to picture that line in the sand moment if you're here today and you've never crossed that line spiritually personally and definitively committing your life to Christ then we want to give you the opportunity to do that. Just right where you're sitting, to pray a prayer of commitment. Just from your heart to the heart of God. Silently right where you are, just pray something like this in your own words. Say, Jesus, I need you. I know I need you, and so I commit my life to follow you. Jesus, I confess my sin. In order to claim your forgiveness, and I will follow you from this moment forward, I confess openly 
that you are my Lord. And I believe in my heart that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, I pray this prayer in your name. ask you to just remain with your heads bowed for another moment. If that was your prayer, it's really important that you understand this is the biggest moment of your life. And you're surrounded by people who want to help. And so I want to ask you to do just a couple of things. If you would, just right now, take out the program that you got when you came in. Open it up to the connect card that's inside and just start filling it out. And you'll notice right underneath your contact information, there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. And indicating that just means that you did personally that line in the sand moment. Once you've completed that car, just tear it off along the perforation there on the fold. If you want to, you can Fold it in half, and before you leave today, when we dismiss in just a moment, if you would hand that to one of our ushers or to somebody outside at the hub underneath the, underneath the big front porch so that we can help with what comes next. The other thing I want to ask you to do, if you would, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, for the first time and you cross that line in the sand, would you just raise your hand? Just raise your hand and hold it up high for a second. Your hand in the air is just a physical statement of that spiritual commitment that you made to Christ and the family of faith. And as you put your hands down, the family of faith is gonna put its hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.